Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. You know, this is a actually a holiday weekend here in North America. So a lot of people are celebrating on both sides of the border. Uh, we had Canada Day on Thursday, and it was a glorious day. A day when there's a lot of backyard barbecues, and there was uh, music on Parliament Hill, and even had a visit from the Queen this year. How many of you got to see the Queen? Did anyone go down there? Yeah, we were down there this, this year uh, see the Queen. That was marvelous. And then today, of course, today is Independence Day in the U.S., and that means there's going to be a lot of flag waving and lots of small town parades, lots of big time fireworks down in the United States. So there's a lot of celebrating today. But at the same time, when many people are celebrating, there's a whole lot of other people that are barely surviving. There's a whole lot of people who don't feel in a party mood today. They just feel in pain. Maybe deep pain. And the fact that the rest of the world seems to be celebrating all around them only exacerbates or elevates their sense of pain. See, the harsh reality is that on any given holiday, it's a miserable day for somebody. And you know, that's true for any given Sunday. Sunday by Sunday, we gather here to worship God. We come here with a desire to Focus our attention and our affection upward to sing to God, to be reminded of who he is in our lives. And on many Sundays when people come here, many of us, perhaps many of you here today, many of us come in and our hearts are glad and grateful. We have this sense of God's goodness in our life, his presence with us. And we think, you know, today this is the right place for me to be. God has been good to me. Surely I can worship him today. But on that same Sunday, when some of us are coming in with glad and grateful hearts, others of us come in and we're pretty banged up by life. Oh, we may, uh, we may be polite and cordial to the people around us. We may even look rather put together on the outside. But on the inside, we're not in a good place. So we come. And by faith or sometimes by sheer willpower, we enter into the singing. And often, entering in does help our hearts. It gives us a new perspective. It lifts us up. But sometimes we leave here with a sense that part of our heart was neither expressed nor addressed. Sometimes we go away with a a deep level of pain that still remains hidden on the inside. A while back, I was reading an article by a British theologian and historian by the name of Carl Truman. And the piece was entitled, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? That was the the title. What Can Miserable Christians Sing? You know what his answer was? They can sing the Psalms. They can sing the Psalms. But then he said, he said, I have this observation. The Psalms have largely fallen completely out of view in our Western worship services. And then Truman said this, I'm not sure why that is, but I suspect part of the reason why the Psalms are often overlooked is because so many of the Psalms are caught up in expressing sorrow, 
and confusion and torment and brokenness. Truman's right about the Psalms. He's right about the Psalms. You see, there are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, in the Psalter. And of those 150 Psalms, you could put them in different categories. Some of the Psalms would be categorized as praise Psalms. Others as wisdom Psalms or royal Psalms. But did you know that the largest category in all of the Psalms, the largest number of Psalms would be classified as lament Psalms. Lament Psalms, either individual or communal events. In other words, most of the Psalms are an expression of someone's heart who's in pain. In our series on the Psalms this summer, we're looking at a Psalm each week. And today we come to one of those Psalms of Lament. Today we come to a Lament Psalm. And the particular Psalm of Lament we will look at today is one that has personal significance for me. I remember reading this Psalm a number of years ago at a time when I was in deep darkness personally. I read it on a sunlit summer day. It was a beautiful day, but my heart was completely fogged in that day. I read it sitting on a coast, watching the waves come in. And as I saw, as I watched the waves beat upon the shore, it was like that was my heart beating. And that was, it felt like the waves of trouble coming my way. And I had my Bible there with me on that day, and I opened it up to the book of Psalms, and I stumbled upon this psalm. And as I read it, something in my heart said, that's how I feel today. In fact, this psalm has said things stronger than I would ever dare to say them. His words were unvarnished, and they were honest, and they were stark. He prayed things that I didn't know you could pray. And on that day, reading this psalm, I learned something of what God wants to teach miserable Christians. And this morning, I would like to invite you to look at it with me. The psalm that I'm referring to is Psalm number 88. Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 is a song for the dark times. It's a song for the dark times in life. Now, you may be here today on a sunny time in life. And if that's true, God bless you. I am, I am rejoicing with you. But you also may be here on a cloudy time of life, a dark time in life. And if that's true for you, then this psalm is going to speak to your heart in a very personal way. And for all of us, I hope our hearts can expand widely enough to not only enter into this personally, but to think about those around us who need a word from God today. So let me pray, and then we will look at Psalm 88. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, please open one up. You'll get more out of this if you look at it yourself. And there are Bibles here in the auditorium and over in the Fellowship Center. And you'll find Psalms near the middle of your Bible. So turn to Psalm 88. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at a song for the dark times. Father, on this beautiful, sunny summer morning, I know that some of us are here feeling the way I felt those years ago when I sat by that beach on a beautiful, sunlit summer day. Some of us here today walk in and life is fairly dark for us or even very dark for us. And we need to hear from you and we need to know you would hear from us in the darkest of times. I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for how it spoke to me many years ago and how it speaks to me today. And I'm asking that your word, which is sharp and powerful, would find its way into every heart here today. Do that in a beautiful, personal way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at Psalm 88, you'll notice that the superscription, the little heading of the psalm, 
says that it's a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And then at the end of it, it says it's a maskil. That's probably a literary or musical term, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. So this psalm was written by a man named Heman who was an Ezraite. Now, to be honest, we know nothing about this man other than what he's written in his psalm. We know nothing about his life, who he is, other than what he tells us in this psalm. And what he tells us in this psalm lets us know that when he wrote this, he was not in a good place. He was in a dark time. I'm going to read Psalm 88 all the way through, but I want you to listen in and let your heart resonate with his. Enter into what he's saying and what others are feeling, maybe even what your heart is speaking today. Psalm 88 begins like this. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Selah. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? To those who are, do the, those who are dead rise up and praise you? Selah. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. What do you make of that? What do you make of that song, that prayer? What do you take from that? Well, one thing that you can take from that, one thing that speaks loudly to me from this psalm is actually a, is actually a freeing truth. See, from this psalm, I understand something that God wants to teach miserable Christians. And it's simply this, dark times can lead to miserable prayers, right? This, this psalm is an example. It is evidence that dark times can lead to miserable prayers. Sometimes in the darkest of times we pray and our prayer are just miserable prayers. They're prayers filled with misery. Now, when I say miserable prayers, I don't mean prayers that are pitiful and you know, lousy prayers, prayers that are poorly prayed. That's not what I mean by miserable prayers. I mean prayers that are painfully prayed, prayers that, that are filled with misery. You read this song, this psalm, this prayer, and misery oozes out of almost every verse, doesn't it? It's like every verse. 
You say, well, what kind of misery? Well, a lot of misery. Start, starting with the misery of distress. This psalm carries with it, it evokes from us and it expresses to us the misery of distress. The psalmist, Heman the Ezraite, writes this and he is in deep distress. And he's in, he's in distress because of all the troubles that have come his way. Look at verse 3. He says, my soul is full of trouble. My soul is full of trouble. The Hebrew word translated full there uh, is a word that means sated or stuffed, like when you eat too much. He's saying it's like I have swallowed so much trouble that I am fed up with it. I am fed up with trouble. My soul is filled with trouble. So he's got trouble coming at him, and it's a lot of trouble. In fact, he likens it in verse 7 to waves of the sea. Trouble's coming in wave upon wave upon wave. Look how he says that in verse 7. He says, your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. It's like he's saying, you know, I'm just trying to get my balance again, and another wave of trouble hits me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. It's coming after me, one after another, relentless, unremitting, steady, trouble, trouble, trouble. That day when I read this psalm, sitting on the coastline looking at the waves, when I read that verse, that's how I felt. I felt that that season of my life, trouble was coming in in waves. And I, and I didn't see an end to it. I, I, it's not like I thought, well, we can just weather this thing. It's just going to be for a little bit of time. And then we'll get by it. On that day, I just saw wave upon wave upon wave. And I know that within our congregation, there are some who feel that way today. I've spoken with some in recent days. There are some in our family of faith who would say, right now it just seems like wave upon wave. My soul is full of trouble. We have people in our church family right now, they're just hitting wave upon wave of bad news medically, physically. It's like they have something going which leads to something else and a further complication which is going to mean these tests and those tests show up some more problems. It's wave upon wave. We have others in our church family who just feel like wave upon wave of family woes are coming my way. Marriages are in crisis. Children are strained. There's a sense in which you know, it's just like a wave, and you just start to get your, your strength and your, your balance again, and another wave. We have people who are just living through waves upon waves of grief. There's a family in our church that's preparing for the funeral for their daughter tomorrow. Nobody wants to outlive their kids. Just waves upon waves. No wonder the guy's in distress. He says, I'm in distress because the troubles just keep coming. And when distress keeps coming, then the misery of distress becomes another kind of misery. It goes from the misery of distress to the misery of despair. And there's a second kind of misery that comes out. It's a misery of despair. The distress has been so repeated, so long, that finally he begins to despair. Comes out in verse 15. He says he's in despair. Look at it, verse 15. From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. He says, you know what? If I were to be completely honest, I'm in despair. Not just distress. I'm despairing. I've kind of lost heart. I've lost hope. In fact, verse 15 gives you a hint of why he's in despair. 
Look at it. He says at the end of verse 15, I have suffered your terrors and am in, and am in despair. Who's he referring to when he says, I have suffered your terrors? Who's he talking about there? Yeah, he is, right. He's talking about God there, right? He's praying to God and he said, I have suffered your terrors. See, the reason that he's in despair is he feels not only his life against him, right now it feels like God is against him. In fact, he says this over and over. He sees God's hand sending the wave upon wave of trouble into his life. Let me show you it. Look at verse 6. Notice his pronouns. Notice who he's addressing. Verse 6. You have put me in the lowest pit. Who's you? You say, Lord, you, you've done this. You've put me in the lowest pit and in the darkest depths. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. Verse 8. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Look at verse 14. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? See, it's a painful thing when other humans that we counted on and that we trusted and we love, when they somehow turn against us and cause us great grief. That that is a painful thing. But I would submit to you it is far more painful when you feel that the God that you love and trust somehow has turned away from you and is causing your pain. That'll lead you to despair. See, the psalmist feels that somehow he is under the judgment of God. Twice he talks about God's wrath being on his life. Look at that, verse 7. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. And then if you go over to verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. He's saying, I I feel somehow, God, that your hand is just crushing me. I'm under your judgment. Your wrath is coming at me. And again, I would say that that, when you feel that way, it's going to lead you to the brink of despair, won't it? It's one thing just to have life sending you troubles, but when God is sending them, and maybe you even know that he's sending them your way because you deserve it. Maybe you know that his hand is on you because your heart has been far from him. And now he's sending to you the consequences of your choices. But it's still painful to think that God is dealing with you. God is judging. God is disciplining. That's what the psalmist is feeling. It's even more confusing when you say, Lord, I don't even know why you're doing this. I'm not aware that my heart is turned from you. Maybe it has, but I I somehow, I I don't know that. All I know is it feels that you're against me. And the psalmist pours out his pain. It's the misery of distress that leads to the misery of despair. And when that continues, the psalm shows it leads to a third kind of misery. And that's the misery of desperation. Misery of desperation. This man is desperate. He is a desperate man. It comes out in his prayer. He he feels the time is running out for him. He's convinced that he's not going to make it through this. He's not sure if he will survive this. In fact, he mentions his own death multiple times in this psalm. Look at it with me. Verse 3. My soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. So he says, God, you need to know this. I'm about done. My soul is drawing near to the grave. Verse four, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. What's the pit? That would be the grave, right? I am like a man without strength. Verse five, I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. He says, people have already kind of written me off and counted me down. It's like I've been put, I've been counted among those who aren't going to get through this. And then he begins to ask God's question. Look at verse 10. He says, 
Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Verse 11. Verse 12. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? See, over and over, he says, God, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. And he's in desperation. He is crying out because he doesn't think he has much time left. And I, I would say that in our lives, when, when distress starts to lead to despair, there can come in our hearts and our prayers a sense of desperation as well, saying, God, I can't handle this much longer. I'm not sure I'm going to make this. And some of you who are hearing me speak know exactly of what he speaks. Some of you are saying, I know that. I, I, I understand that kind of distress. I understand that kind of despair. I know that kind of desperation. Let me ask you a question. What would you say to Heman the Ezraite if you just had heard his prayer and he was your friend? What would you say to this guy? If he were someone who was close to you and he had prayed this prayer in your presence, what would you say to him? Or, or let me turn that a bit. What would you want someone to say to you if this is your prayer? If you're in the same place that Heman is in and you're praying this prayer, what would you want somebody to say to you? Well, you probably say, well, I, I would like them to acknowledge my pain. I would like them to acknowledge my suffering, to somehow enter in. And by the way, that's a very biblical thing to do. Romans chapter 12 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes the best gift we can give someone who's in pain is just the gift of tears. So you'd, you'd want somebody, if this were you, you'd want somebody to come alongside of you and just be with you, to sit with you, to listen to you, to not have a quick and snappy answer, to not tell you to snap out of it. But at some point, you're going to want more than that. You're going to want some hope, right? You're going to want some assurance that somehow God is still there and God still cares. You're going to want someone to speak hope into your life, light into your darkness. You're going to want that. And I'm here to tell you that the words of hope and the words of light can be spoken to you in your darkest times. You see, there is a truth that you need to hang on to in the middle of your dark times, in the middle of the times that are miserable to you. And the truth is this. Yes, yes, it's true that dark times can lead to miserable prayers, but there's a truth that you need to hang on to in the dark time, and it's simply this. Miserable prayers will reach to God's merciful heart. That's what you're going to need to hear when the middle of your dark times. You're going to need to be told in a way that you can absorb and receive that the miserable prayers will reach to God's merciful heart, that he will hear your prayer, that he will receive your prayer, that your miserable prayer will touch his merciful heart. Now, if you were to say that to Heman the Ezraite after he just prayed this, and you said, Heman, let me tell you something. Here, here's something to hang on to. Miserable prayers like this one, prayers of misery, will reach to God's merciful heart. What do you think he'd say? Well, he might say to you, I'd like to believe you're telling me the truth, but I'm not sure. I don't know if my prayer is reaching to God's heart. After all, verse 1, he says, I've been praying, crying out night and day. Like, I've been praying all the time on this, and so far, nothing. So far, I don't sense God is coming through. 
And then he says in verse 15, by the way, these, these problems have been with me since I was a young man. This is from my youth. You see that verse 15? From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. It's like God hasn't pulled me out of this thing yet, and it's been going on for a long time. And then he might say to you, and today, even as I pray this prayer, I'm still in the dark. I'm in the dark. In fact, that's how the psalm ends, isn't it? Verse 18. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. In the Hebrew text, they can rearrange the words semantically and um, syntactically different than we do it in English. And so in the Hebrew text, the last word is actually the word darkness. It's like darkness gets the last word in this psalm. There is no glimmer of light. There is no ray of hope. It's just darkness. That's how the psalm ends. It ends in darkness. So if you're telling Heman, you're saying, listen, miserable prayers will reach to God's merciful heart. He says, you know what? I still feel like I'm in the dark. And then there would be some cynics who come along and would say to Heman, Heman, you're a fool. Why don't you give up on God? He's obviously given up on you. Why don't you just stop your prayers? They're not going higher than the ceiling, Heman. So why should this man hang on? Why should he keep praying? How can he believe? How can you believe that miserable prayers actually reach God's merciful heart? Why do we believe that? Well, this morning, I'm here to give you two solid reasons to believe that your most miserable prayers find their way to God's merciful heart. Two possible reasons why we believe that. Two strong affirmations. The first of which is this. Why do we know that our miserable prayers will find their way to God's merciful heart? Why do we believe that? First of all, we believe that because of Scripture. Why do we believe that? Because of Scripture. And you say to me, well, not this Scripture. I mean, this Scripture ends in the dark. Uh, Like, there is nothing in this passage of Scripture that gives you a reason for hope. And I would turn around and say, no, the fact that this passage is in Scripture is a reason for hope. Think about that. The fact that this passage is in Scripture is a reason for hope. In other words, God chose to have this prayer recorded in his book. God wanted this prayer in his book. As it is, he didn't doctor it up. Remember, all scripture is God breathes. Second Timothy chapter 316, all scripture is inspired by God, including Psalm 88. God wanted this prayer in his book, just like it is. Did you notice that? Remember I said at the beginning in the superscription, in the heading, it says this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. What that probably means is that the sons of Korah were the ones who collected and compiled some of these prayers that made up part of the Psalter. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I had been one of the sons of Korah and Heman, the Ezraite, had brought this prayer and said, I I have one I believe God has inspired me to write and I'd like it included in the book of the Psalms. If I had been one of the Psalms, uh, uh, sons of Korah and I read Psalm 88 for the first time, I would have probably thought, I don't think this one's getting in. I probably would have called Heman back and said, Heman, Heman, you know, honesty, you get high marks. Uh, I can tell you were very, in fact, you took it to the edges there, Heman, on honesty part, but your ending, man, alive, you got to do, you got to rewrite the ending. This ending is not going to give anybody hope. 
You got to brighten that thing up. You got to get a better ending. Listen to your ending. Darkness is my closest friend. Where is that going to leave people? So I would have probably, in my humanness, I would have said this needs to be rewritten. But God didn't think so. Isn't that something? God didn't want him to rewrite the ending. What does that say to you? It says to me that God takes our laments seriously. And that our miserable prayers find their way to his merciful heart, even before our prayers have a happy ending. Why do we believe that God hears prayers of lament? Because Psalm 88 is in Scripture. So we believe because of Scripture, but there's a second reason why we believe that your most miserable prayers will find their way to God's merciful heart. The second reason we believe is because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus prayed a lament psalm at his darkest hour? At his darkest hour, Jesus prayed a lament. You remember the night that he went to the Garden of Gethsemane? It was night. It was dark. And Jesus says, Mark chapter 14, verse 34, you can read it. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus feels like I'm about to die. My soul is so sorrowful. And then he goes there with his companions, and you know the story, they desert him. First, they desert him by sleeping while he's weeping. But then they desert him that when the guards come, they all run and they leave him alone. And Jesus enters this dark period of his life where he goes through the injustice and indignity of a series of mock trials. He's brought before the soldiers who brutally beat him, scornfully mock him. And then he carries his cross to a hill just outside the city gates where they nail him to it and they hoist him up on it and things really get dark. We're told from the ninth hour to the twelfth hour, from noon to three, darkness covers the whole land. And Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth and everything is dark. And what does he pray? You remember the words that came from his lips were these, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Did you know that that is an exact quotation from Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament? Think about that. Here is the Son of God crying out in a psalm of lament. He takes to his heart words that had been penned by David many, many years before, and those words express his heart, his pain, and he offers them up to the Father in heaven. And let me ask you, was his prayer of lament heard? Oh, yes, it was heard, wasn't it? Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. He cried to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard. You say, wait a second. He wasn't hurt. He died. No, he was saved, not by a rescue from the cross, but through a resurrection from the grave. He was hurt. The father heard his lament and came to his resurrection. Now, what does that say to you? It says to you who've come to know Jesus that you can follow his example and your prayers of lament 
will also be heard by the Father in heaven, even when you feel most forsaken. You see, when Jesus went to the cross and suffered all that pain, he did it to save you. He did it to save me. Psalm 88 verse 1 says, O Lord, the God who saves me. Jesus was in flesh and blood the God who saves us. You see, he was He was forsaken by God so that you and I could be forgiven by God. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. He was under the judgment of God that we deserved so that we could receive the joy of God that we don't deserve. And once you come to put your faith in Jesus and you trust him to be your sin bearer and your savior, then you can also follow his example as your Lord. And you can know that when in your darkest hour, you cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That that miserable prayer will find its way to God's merciful heart. So again, I ask you, what can miserable Christians sing? They can sing the Psalms. What can miserable Christians pray? They can pray the Psalms. And they can hang on to the truth from Scripture and from Christ Jesus, that even in our dark times, our most miserable prayers find their way to God's most merciful heart. We're going to close our service by remembering what Jesus did for us as he cried out on the cross and offered his life in forgiveness and in redemption and in rescue for ours. I'm going to invite our servers to come and take their places. And I'm going to just give you a moment to pray, to talk to the Lord, to process what we've heard today, and maybe to even to voice some of the lament that the psalmist prayed, to bring that to the, to the Lord right now, bring it, to, bring it to the cross, believing that in the darkest of times, your miserable prayers still find their way to God's merciful heart. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.